0: the word of the Lord and then pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 beginning at verse 5 to the end of the chapter. For even when we came into Macedonia our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort of with which he would comfort it in you. As he reported to us, your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you a sorrow only for a little while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So, although I wrote you. It was not for the sake of the offender, nor the sake of the offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more, much more, for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if anything, I have boasted to him about you. I was not put to shame, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also your boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. Father, we come before your throne. Teach us. Open our hearts, open our minds that we may hear, and Father, we may react. And Father, even there are times that in our sorrow, we know that there can be comfort. As we look at this text, may we be so encouraged by the Apostle Paul, so encouraged by the Word of God, so encouraged by your bride, your church, and those saints that you put in our lives that minister, that encourage that rejoice alongside of us, that we may be brothers and sisters in Christ to the joy of our everlasting salvation in Christ's name. Amen. We're going through this on comfort and sorrow. And Paul has picked up where he left off in chapter 2, verse 13. And now he's back in chapter 7, verse 5. And he's showing us, these are the things that he had to endure as a minister of the Word of God. And i will ask you a question. I was reading a book. And and it came to my mind as I was dealing with this. Uh the book is called He Is Not Silent, uh, by a guy named Al Moeller. Alright, and it's a fascinating it's, I love Al. Love him to death. But uh he could have made this book a lot thinner. Um he uh Basically, uh, he takes Ezra and says, You're a preacher, he is not silent. You read the text, explain the text, and repeat. I mean, that, if you really want to know, that's it right there. I know you think there's more to it. You read the text, explain the text, repeat. Okay, and you keep doing that until your faith becomes sight. Alright, but he, he gets paid to write books, so it's, it's a little more than that. One chapter I remember reading, he asked a question. What is your church known for? What is the distinctiveness of your church? Have you ever thought about that? I hate when these brainiac people come up. Go get cable, dude. Okay. They come up with these brilliant ideas. What is your church known for? You ever thought of that? You have a distinction. God has you here for such a time as this for a distinct purpose that God has. What is it? You can't steal my line. Read the text, explain the text, and repeat. (laughs) You don't get that one. I already stole that one. All right. All right. Have you ever thought about it? Well, you know, I've read this several months ago. Ah, It's probably longer than that, really. And I thought, if you were to ask the average Christian, what was the Corinthian church known for? it would probably not be that awe-inspiring. Most people look at the Corinthian church as, what a bunch of knuckleheads. And yet, how many of us miss this section? That the report that Titus came back from the Corinthian church on the letter that he had sent them caused Paul to rejoice. Okay? Because in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know what? You were lacking nothing in spiritual gifts. Nothing was missing. So you you can't say, well, were these people even saved? Well, then what were they doing with all those spiritual gifts? So you've got to say as a church, I mean, you can go through the seven churches of Asia Minor. Okay, and, and I know the ones you'll say is tragic. The tragic one is Ephesus. Why? They've lost their first love. Think about that for a second. Your deeds are greater now than they were in the beginning. You stay away from false teachers. You rebuke false teachers. You do amazing things, Ephesus. But I have this against you. You lost your first love. It's becoming... What? A loveless church? Ooh. Ooh, here's what we've been dealing with. A saint's joy in verse 7. He received joy, one, by the coming of Titus. So another saint appears, and that brought joy. A fellow laborer, someone with the same zeal and passion as the Apostle Paul. Okay? He also came back and wasn't harmed. He heard how the Corinthians had treated him. That brought him joy. But then he finds out also that they had a longing, a mourning, and a zeal for the Apostle Paul. And they understood what they had done wrong. Okay? That's impressive. That's impressive. But he makes these statements then coming in what we're looking at now that the saints changed. Verses 8 to 10. I caused you sorrow by my letter. Paul confronted him. What you're doing, guys, is a sin. Is a sin. He confronted him. And you know what? It caused the church sorrow. It hurt their feelings. Okay? I don't know if any of you have ever confronted someone on their sin. I don't know. It's it's it, it's just not really as much fun as you like to think it is. You know, I'm going to go out and bash them with my Bible, but I'm going to take the big family Bible so I can just really pound them. Okay, Dr- drive them into the ground. This sucker, watch this, drive them like a tenpenny nail. Ain't nobody does that. And if you do, come talk to me. All right. But we are to confront. And, and you know what? Nobody wants to do that. I had a discussion this week with pastors. And I, and I don't even remember exactly. Well, they were talking about church membership. And, and I told them, be real careful. Because if you exercise church discipline on someone who's not a member, they will sue you. Okay, I guarantee it. Right? We have exercised church discipline on members and they sued us. But we had them down as becoming a member of this church and therefore they affirmed our constitution. Which means that I can hold your feet to that fire. Okay. If you're not a member, then all I can do is say, you cannot take of the Lord's table. I can't keep you out of the building. But I can say, I will not serve you the Lord's table. And if you don't have that taken care of, then people freak out and they'll sue you. Okay. We were sued twice. It's comical. It's comical. But I keep thinking, I got your name right there. You know what that means? (laughs) Okay. I couldn't believe the response from the pastor that I was trying to protect. He says, well, there is no way that I would discipline anybody. And I, I was just like, do I continue? <laughs> I says, then I guess what you're telling me is you do not take sin seriously. Okay, now that's, some people would say that's hitting below the belt. But you understand that Jesus came to do what? Pay the penalty of. Moral incompetence? No, sin, man. And if he hung on a cross for sin, then we take sin seriously. If you have a body of believers who are causing sin and drawing sin and bringing false teaching in to augment sin, you are to confront it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. He confronted the Corinthians. He got his report back by the arrival of Titus, okay, how they had treated Titus, and how they had a longing and a mourning and a zeal for the Apostle Paul, understanding that that mourning is that we had done wrong, okay? Look what he says. I regretted for a little while, literally for an hour, okay? To see that the letter had caused you sorrow. Why? Because in the confrontation, verse 9, I rejoice that you were made sorrowful because you were made sorrowful to what? Okay, now your Bible says to the point of, okay? The point of is in italics, right? Anytime you see italicized words in your Bible, the editor has added that to make it flow into English. Let me read it to you as it would actually show up. All right. Through verse 10, I rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to repentance for you were sorrowful. According to God, so that you might not suffer loss of anything through us. For the sorrow which, according to God, produces a repentance without regret to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Okay? This is extraordinarily important. There is more importance in that verse 10 than you will read in much of your scriptures. Okay. Sorrow of God. A sorrow that comes by God. Now you see why they put the will of God in there. Why? This is what God wanted. All right. It is produced by the Holy Spirit. This sorrow. It is a sorrow over sin. Please hear me well on this. It's the individual sin. I watch us get really pitifully upset about everybody else's sin. Very seldom do we get upset about our sin. Therefore, when you don't get upset about your sin, guess what happens? Nothing changes. Okay? It pleases God. Because it is right, because it leads to repentance. A change, and he says here, it's amazing, little phrase he sticks in there, a repentance without regret. No one truly repents. No one truly changes direction will ever regret that they changed directions. I've known people who've repented. And shortly thereafter, were mad that they had. They had a regret over their repentance. Okay? Th- now listen, I want you to be real careful with this. There is no way to repent apart from sorrow. Did you hear me on that? You can get caught with your hand in the cookie jar... And you feel guilty about it. But if there's no sorrow over the fact that I put my hand in the cookie jar to start with. You ain't going to change. You just figure out where they hid the cookie jar. When I look at the situation. Is the sin seen? now, Now, I'm going to back it up. I want it to be personal. Do you see your sin? And then if you say, yes, amen, then I'm going to ask you the next part of the question. Does it bring you sorrow? Because if you see your sin and it doesn't make you sorrowful, you will not change directions. Because when you have the sorrow at your own sin. Then you will have no regret. Why? He didn't want him to lose the blessings. He didn't want him to lose the blessings. All right. Now, look what he says here. It is with a repentance without regret. And then he says to salvation. That's an amazing statement. Okay, this is where you talk to the Russian brethren. They will tell you, I came to repentance at this point. Because at somewhere in their life, their sin caused them great sorrow. Okay, listen, Paul is not talking about some moral shift. That's not what he's talking about. Okay. He's not talking about a social change. You know, I grew up on the, uh, bad side of the, tr- well, I don't know. Every, any side of traction is on. I was bad. But anyway, I grew up wild and crazy. All right. There was a couple of times that they put me in public housing. And you know what? There was a change. Until they let me out. All right. I ain't bashful enough to say that. I, I, I know people I have dealt with quote unquote jailhouse conversions. All right. More than I want to think about. All right. And I tell the guys every time. It is easiest thing in the world to walk with Christ in jail. You ain't got nothing else to do. It isn't like you're going to be tempted. You're just going to sit there. It is not a behavior modification. Because that's what jail is. I will modify your behavior. Why? Because I've got the key. And I tell you when to get up. When to go to bed. This is when you're going to eat. This is when you're going to shower. This is when you're going back to bed. I have modified your behavior. That's not what this is. It is not trying to change something for a better effect. I see that. You know, I I see that a lot. A change that is real. Has a sorrow over the sin. right? When the sorrow is over the sin. Then at the center of the change is God. And let me tell you something. That is part of salvation. If that is not there. You're not saved. You're not saved. It. Translators will call it leads to. I Well, fine. If you want to call it leads to salvation, it is part of salvation. You have to sorrow over your sin. The Holy Spirit is here to do what? To the lost. Convict the world of sin. Right? That's what it does. When you got saved somewhere, I hope... You were convicted of your sin. No, I don't want you to be convicted of other people's sin. Because I know people who said, "We well, you know, I drank because my great-grandfather was a moonshiner. No, 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 no. That ain't the way that works. Adam tried that. Eve tried that. We know what that got them. So you think it'll do better for you? You sin because your nature is sinful. And when the sorrow of your sin. Breaks your heart. Then you change. And that is eternal salvation. Oh did I tell you. That is a change that God is pleased with. That is the will of. God. That you change. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. You need to change. It's a real sorrow over sin, a sorrow that points towards Christ, towards God. To leave and to turn from sin, change directions. That's salvation, people. It leads to salvation. You know, I read the theologian. It says, this is the realm of salvation. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. Whatever that means. The realm of salvation. You have to change. Listen, my sin bothers me. When I do something that is sinful, the Holy Spirit and my conscience get into this wrestling thing. And I always lose. So I've learned that when I'm convicted, stop. Don't argue. Just change. All right. And yet I watch us over and over. And this is, listen, this is key to every single one of you in this room right now. This is not human. This is not psychological. This is not emotional. This is not on a circumstance. Okay, do you know what I mean by circumstance? Something goes south on you, it just goes wrong, and all of a sudden I want to be saved, Jesus. Why? It'll change my circumstance. No, it ain't got nothing to do with Circumstances. It is not behavior modification. This is spiritual. This is supernatural. Look at the end of verse 10. It leads to salvation without regret. To salvation. But the sorrow of the world does what? See, the sorrow of the world is human. It is philosophical. It is psychological. It is emotional. It is based on circumstances. It is behavior modification, and it leads only to death. Now listen, any sorrow other than a godly sorrow, there is no change. Did you hear me? You can get yourself in a pickle. Dig yourself a seriously big ditch, okay? And it can be anything. Gee, many crickets. You can lose your freedom. You can lose your health. You can lose relationships. You can just go down the line. Name it. We can. And we all of a sudden are sorry. I'm so sorry. Hoping that it'll change. Okay. But that's not salvation. Salvation. Do you understand that? When a twenty-one-year-old, yeah, twenty-one-year-old, stands before a federal judge and is sentenced to twenty years in a federal penitentiary, it's amazing how sorrowful that twenty-one-year-old can be. Just amazing. But it still doesn't change it. All right, I know people right now who make deals with God. Hey, get me out of this mess and I will fill in the blank. That is human remorse. Human remorse. Sorrow, that human sorrow has no healing power in it, has nothing to do that can transform and has no saving power and does not redeem. It doesn't mean they're not sorrowful. They probably are. But it is absolutely useless. Real sorrow is sorrow over sin. Real sorrow is sorrow towards God. Real sorrow says I must leave and turn. Change directions. Why? That's salvation. Now, I know all the theological side of it. This is the work of God and the Holy Spirit. And all. I understand that. But what I'm trying to tell you is, do you see it? The Apostle Paul confronted the church in Corinth. He saw their response. By the coming of Titus, by Titus' report, And the change in the Corinthians. That's the only sorrow that makes a difference. That's the only sorrow that causes a change. That is the sorrow that is of repentance. That is the repentance that is before God. It is the only one that is redemptive. It is the only one that is healing. It is the only one that is saving. It is only godly sorrow that causes that. Any other sorrow besides godly sorrow, has the same outcome. You know what it is? Death. It provides death. That's all it gives you. Okay? Real sorrow to salvation that means salvation, that brings forth salvation, that is in the realm of salvation. I don't... I just... Wow, man, that's heady. What realm would that be? (laughs) That one has an honest look at sin. You know what? It's, it's that when you look at it honestly, there is a regret over the sin. Do you remember when it used to be shameful? We used to have things in our lives that was shameful. I grew up, remember food stamps, the coupon books? You were embarrassed to use those. I was embarrassed the first time I got an unemployment check. It embarrassed me so bad, I only cashed one. I never even received another. I didn't want any more. It was embarrassing to me. It seemed shameful. Our society is removing shame. Which means that there is no sorrow. And if there is no sorrow, then there is only death. Regret over sin. Feeling shameful of your sin leads to repentance. And that repentance leads to change. And that change is salvation. The Corinthians showed in the treatment of Titus. And the change of their direction. That they really understood salvation. And they really were in salvation. And it was really remorse from God. Real believers. True saints of God. Change. They change. Now listen. This is one of the maybe epic teachings on repentance. Okay? Let me share with you something. People people. Do you know that there is a massive massive belief in the church today that there is no need of repentance for salvation? It is way bigger than what you think it is. You don't think I you think I'm kidding you? How many of you say Say the sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. I can't find a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Found the Lord's. But I can't find that in there. How many people believe that if you walk an aisle and say a prayer with a, a pastor or something, then you shall be saved. Oh, wait a minute. What happened to sorrow over your sin? Did I miss something? Sorrow over sin. And it's, and, and it is propagated right now that that sorrow is not needed for salvation. You know what? I love those people because this verse causes them major gastrointestinal stress. Because he says godly sorrow leads to repentance to salvation. Hey, I'm thinking you can break that up. I like it. No different than a, a, a pastor telling me that I would never discipline anybody in the church. So sin ain't that important. You know what you're saying? How do you get saved? Walk an aisle? Say a prayer? What are you going to do? It is a sorrow that is according to the will of God. Verse 9. Repentance. You know, I've heard this one. And, 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 and whenever I hear it, it almost makes me have to repent. Okay. You can't call people to repentance. That's works. And I want to. <laughs> watch me repent of this. <laughs> If there isn't a change, then what did you get saved from? Repentance is a change of direction. And that change will never be regretted. And it leads to salvation. Anything else other than that produces death. Do you see how important this verse is? You confront sin. It produces sorrow. Sorrow leads to repentance, which is salvation. They have no ability if they ain't saved. It's really clear. It is according to the will of God. It's a change of direction. There is no regret in it. It is salvation. And anything else is death. You confront sin. Sorrow. Leads to repentance. Salvation. Clear. You know what? Many deny repentance is needed. And you know what? I love those people because this verse is a pain for them. Okay. Then I've got a new one. Well, it's not a new one. I've heard this one already. Some will say, yes, there is a need of repentance. It's obvious in verse 10. All right. Need of repentance. But let me explain to you what this repentance is. It is the changing of your mind on who is Jesus. Okay. Okay. This text is a pain for them, too. Okay. There was a book published in 1988. Okay. First book this man had ever published. First book this man I ever read. Okay. If you can find it, I highly recommend that you read it. The book is called The Gospel According to Jesus. Okay. It was written by Dr. MacArthur in 1988. It was published. Okay. And it was just a straightforward presentation of the gospel. That's all it was. It caused more conflict and division in the body of Christ than any text that's ever been published. How is that? And he based it on the fact, not going to believe this, you confront sin. Guess what? Brings on sorrow, leads to repentance, which is salvation. Now, how hard is that? But the evangelicals came out of the wall rebuking MacArthur for being a legalist because everyone knows that repentance is works. Well, then none of us are saved. You know, let's cash it in. All you have to do is believe. Really? What do you believe in? All you have to do is say a prayer and say, save me. The prayer can be anything as long as you say, save me in it. Got to walk an aisle. You know, just change your mind about who is Jesus. Listen, book very popular that still plays on this, 40 Days of Purpose. Okay? The basis behind it is is that if you do something for 40 days, it will become a habit. Well, is that human-powered? Listen, I've done things for 40 days that never are a habit. Okay? In the middle of this book, he lists all of these things that you do. And at the end of it, he says, if you do this and you believe this and you've prayed this and you've asked this and you've done this and you do this. uh, Now you are a brother or sister in Christ. Really? Some things are missing. No sorrow, no sin, no repentance. How in the world do I become saved? Yet it's one of the biggest published books on the world. Has nothing to do with sin, has nothing to do with sorrow. Somewhere in your life, your sin need to bring great sorrow to you, so you changed. If it hasn't, you're not saved, according to this text. Does that sound sound mean? (laughs) If it is too bad, (laughs) you'll have to get over it. (laughs) You'll be sorry. You know, I just had to say that. And you know what? With these people, when I listen to pastors, evangelists, whatever they do, and they do not deal with sin and the sorrow, this verse always comes to mind because this verse is tough on that teaching. I mean, this verse basically defines Repentance, change, it's a sorrow of sin that leads to change and that leads to salvation. See, being sorry is not changing your mind about Christ. It's not that all of a sudden I've got some new information. The Corinthians were confronted about their sin and they were called to change. They felt the sorrow and they abandoned the sin Turn from sin. Turn to God. Change your direction. And you do it without regret. Any other sorrow. Verse 10 tells us is deadly. Any other sorrow is wounded pride. Any other sorrow is self-pity. Any other sorrow is hopeless. I listen. You don't think so. Turn the news on. You see an awful lot of sorry people. Sad people, sorry people, but the sorrow is leading them to death. That's what that sorrow produces. You see that sorrow. It has guilt. It has shame. It has despair. It causes depression. It has, it fuels self pity. It is hopeless. It causes resentment. Look around. Everywhere you look, you see that. And you know what? It only kills people. People die because of sorrow. Okay? I have seen elderly couples who have been married 50, 60 years, and one spouse dies, and shortly thereafter, what happens? The other one dies. Why? Their sorrow for being alone. My grandparents, my grandfather died uh, of cancer. And the next day, my grandmother died. She'd always prayed. This was her prayer. That he die first so that nobody else had to take care of him. That was her prayer. 18 hours, <laughs> she outlasted him. But she didn't want nobody to take care of him. That was her job. She took care of him. And he was a handful. And 18 hours after he had died, she died. Psalm 32 says that the guilt over my sin has caused my life juices to dry up. That's David getting caught with his hand in the proverbial cookie jar. It will have a physical toll on you. Worldly sorrow. It has mental torment to it. It causes anguish. It affects the body. It affects the mind. It affects the soul. Sometimes, worldly sorrow is so intense that you kill yourself. Judas Iscariot. Sometimes, you feel so badly so sorrowful that you weep bitterly and are restored because you are changed. Peter, he denied his Lord three times, swearing that he would never forsake him. And then there, if you go look at Luke's gospel, the third time that he denied it, when the rooster crowed the third time. He denied him the third time. He says that Jesus was being brought out of Annas's palace and was walking across and he made eye contact with Peter when he denied the third time. Tell me that wouldn't get you. To have him look at you as you're saying, I don't know him. Oops. And it said that he whipped bitterly. The Corinthian church was not move, <clears throat> being moved in worldly sorrow. Self-pity. But it was real godly sorrow. It was a change. It was linked to their salvation. Okay? People. There are people who are defiant in confrontation. I I know none of you have ever run into those. Okay? As soon as they defy the confrontation... My first thought, are they saved? Because a saint should say at the confrontation when my sin is exposed, then there should be great overwhelming sorrow that would lead to repentance. And it is part of my salvation. It's totally awesome, isn't it? Unless you get caught with your hand in a cookie jar and you're like, well, here we go. Titus had come back intact. That brought joy to Paul. His report of what the Corinthians response to his weather letter brought him joy. And their treatment of him brought him joy that his rejoicing increased. They had changed directions. And by doing that, it brought Joy. Back to my original question. What is your life noted for? What is your Christian life noted for? Okay. What is this church defined as? If people were to say, describe for me your church. How would it be described? I've heard them described all kinds of ways. We got a rocking worship band. Cool. We got amazing kids' ministry. Our singles group are bonded. You allowed to say that? I don't know if I I said that right. Unified. That ain't right either. Anyway, let's move on. Somebody give me a bigger shovel. (laughs) I hear a lot of things that people describe church. One that I very seldom hear is that they exalt the word of God. don't hear that. We've got all kinds of bells. We've got all kinds of whistles. Where's your Bible? Ah! It's an old book. It causes people stress. Yep. The Apostle Paul said, Corinthians, change your direction. And he had the authority of the word behind it. Guess what? In his great sorrow he was comforted because they changed directions. So comfort and sorrow, saints joy. Comfort and sorrow, saints changed. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise. Thank you for these this text on repentance. Father, I pray that your the whole body of Christ globally will hear this and And mercy. We'll bow before it. And that, Father, we understand that repentance is not works, repentance is the fruit of sorrow over our sin. Help us. Help each one of us. And we understand the seriousness of this. We don't take it lightly. And that, Father, we would be overwhelmed by the amazing things you continue to do, even knowing that you produce repentance because it is you who produced the sorrow. It is you who confronted the sin. Father, help us to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And Father, may each of us think about what is it that we are noted for. To your glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen.